study in the book of Hebrews last week, and I hope you're as blessed by this as I am. Dustin, if you want to put that first slide up here real quick. Just a quick reminder as we're going through Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews. I think it's the most logical book in the entire Bible. Just the way the author of Hebrews makes these arguments. And we want to know who the author of Hebrews is. We mentioned this last week if you weren't with us. We know by the first word of the book of Hebrews, God. No author is mentioned, but just kind of a fascinating study. We don't know who it was. God chose not to share that information with us. And what it comes down to is this is the Lord's book. He used men to just be filled with the Holy Spirit to write these scriptures. And the author doesn't matter because this is God's word. Now, the background to Hebrews is this. Jesus is greater than anything. Anything. Chapter 1, he's greater than the angels. He created the angels. So therefore, he has to be greater than the angels. Now, you may think that's not that big a deal. 2,000 years ago, there was a very large worshiping of angels. still happens today to an extent. Greater than the angels. Here tonight, we're going to see Jesus is greater than Moses. That's a big deal. Think like a Jew for a second. To be greater than Moses? That's amazing. Jesus is greater than Joshua because Joshua brought them into the promised land, but Jesus will take us into heaven. And then what we're building up to is chapters 5 through 10, Jesus is greater than the Levitical priesthood. And that is a huge statement to make, that Jesus is greater than what we read in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And like I shared with you before, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, four difficult books. But in chapters 5 through 10 of Hebrews, you'll get a great overview of the Old Testament. And what you'll see is Jesus is the law. He is the sacrifice. He is the Old Testament. I absolutely love this book, and what you take away from this is what? Jesus is greater than anything. If he is greater than anything, he needs to be the primary focus of everything we do in our life. Everything we do needs to go through the lens of eternity. When we look at something, do something, hear something, how can we glorify Christ in this? How can we represent Jesus to an unsaved world? It is never about this church. It's never about a pastor. It's never about a ministry. It's about promoting Christ. And that's what we got to remember, everything we do. So with that being said, let's learn more about Christ. We're going to finish up with chapter 2, start here in verse 16. For indeed he, meaning Jesus, does not give aid to the angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. That finishes our thought on the angels. Christ isn't here to die for the angels' sins. He's here to die for our sins. Verse 17, Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation. That's a big fancy word that means appeasement. To make appeasement for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Keep that mindset. That's our bookend for this night. Let's go to the other bookend. Chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest... Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's our bookends right there. Jesus is relatable to us. He walked this world for 33 years. So therefore, when you have an issue or a problem, you can go to Christ. He gets it. He understands it. Have you not ever been disappointed in your life when you've gone to a loved one and tried to open your heart to them and they did not get it? You come home, you try to explain it to your spouse, he or she doesn't get it. You try to explain it to your friend, they don't get it. You try to go to your pastor, they don't get it. And you just walk away with this feeling of emptiness saying, no one seems to understand what I'm going through. Now granted, they'll say, oh, I get it, oh, I understand, or I feel for you, but they don't. Who's the only one that gets it? Christ. 
I'm not trying to take away your closeness to your spouse or to your friends or to the brothers and sisters in the Lord or the pastor, but go to Jesus first. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You will be disappointed and let down by every single person you know at one time or another. You will be. But Christ is saying right here, verse 17, guess what? I've been made like you in all things. I'm able to aid those who are being tempted, tested. Verse 18 of chapter 2. Jump back to chapter 4, verse 14. We have a great high priest who can do what in verse 15? Sympathize with our weakness. I always find it interesting when all the translations have a different word. New King James, he can sympathize with our weakness. Some of your translations out there say empathize, understand. Good old King James talks about being touched with the feelings. Jesus gets it. And look at the description of Christ. Verse 17 of chapter 2. He's merciful. He's faithful. He helps us. Verse 15 of chapter 4. He sympathizes with us. He is the high priest you've always wanted. What does the high priest do? The high priest was the go-between before the people of Israel and God the Father. The high priest was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies one day a year on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, to make a sacrifice for the people. So when it says that Jesus is our high priest, what is he? He is our bridge between us and God the Father. He's the one that gives us access to God the Father. That's why it says in verse 16 of chapter 4, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Think back 2,000 years ago. Put yourself in that mindset. Imagine reading this book and understanding what they're saying, that Jesus is your high priest who gives you access in verse 16 to the throne of grace. What they're saying is, you have the right and access through Christ to walk boldly without fear into the presence of God. That would blow your mind 2,000 years ago. If you would go up to a typical Jewish man and try to say, Hey, guess what? You see the temple right there? I dare you to walk right in. Right back to the Holy of Holies. I dare you. The Jewish temple had guards. They had security. So therefore, if a person tried to come into the temple to defile them, they would be killed on the spot. That's how much they wanted to protect the holiness of God. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you get to go right into the holy of holies right in you have access like no one else does i remember it was um 94 94 i'd only been saved i hadn't been saved a year yet and there was a group of us here from church that thought it'd be really fun billy graham was doing a crusade over in cleveland old stadium there right there at the river so we thought it'd be fun to go to a billy graham crusade so there was about four of us that got around and went to cleveland We showed up really early, and there was these people, you know, all these cars, everybody's lining up to get in, and we saw this door that was open. We thought, well, why is no one going in? So we just walked in. We let, I'm not exaggerating, we could sit anywhere we want. All the different bands were doing sound checks, everything like that. What we found out later is we walked in through the emergency medical exit, but we did it boldly. You can go to the throne room of God. Now, I know a lot of you are sitting here tonight saying, yeah, I get that. Do you know what the problem is? We have been desensitized to that thought, that we just get to contact God anytime we want. We can pray anytime we want. We can talk to the Lord anytime we want. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We're so used to that now. And to be quite honest, we just take it for granted. 
If you would try to go back into Old Testament times and try to explain to somebody, guess what, there's going to come a time where God in the form of the Holy Spirit is going to actually live inside of you. Man, that'd blow their mind. So what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say here is, listen, your high priest is willing to take you by the hand and take you right into the presence of God. That's what Jesus does. That's why he's better than Moses, Joshua, the angels, the Levitical priesthood, because he grants you access to God like no one else can. Any quick questions, comments about that, that access that Christ gives us as the high priest? We'll get into that more in chapter 5 on. But any quick questions, comments about that before we move on? All righty. So let's get into this. How is Jesus better than Moses? Let's find out. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, that means messenger, and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful to his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Remind yourself if you were reading that. They're saying Jesus gets more glory than Moses? Yeah. Why does Jesus get more glory than Moses? Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. What's more impressive? The structure that is built or the brains that designed it and built it? So Moses is great. Moses is amazing. Moses is wonderful. Moses was faithful to serve, verse 2, the house of God. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, yeah, but guess what? Jesus is the house of God. He designed it. He built it. So therefore, Moses was faithful to serve Jesus. Who gets the glory, the house or the brains that designed and built the house? You know, we run into this today. Do we worship the creation or do we worship the creator? And you see a lot of people worshiping the creation. But what about the creator, the person that created all this? See, Moses served Jesus through serving in the house, but Jesus built it. Verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. Moses was a faithful servant, but verse 6, but Christ has son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing the hope firm to the end. So Moses served the house, but Jesus built the house. And not only that, did you catch verse 6? But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are. We're now the house. We're now the church. We're now the body of Christ. 1 Peter 2, 5 says we're living stones that Jesus is combining into this house that Christ is building. So he's saying to these people, guess what? Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses served what Jesus created. Jesus is greater than anything because Jesus is now building us into a house. Now the question comes up, what are you going to do with this information? Verse 7 starts out with therefore. The word therefore is used 28 times in the book of Hebrews. Therefore. You're supposed to stop and wonder why it's therefore. You're supposed to stop and think. So... Now that I've just explained to you, the writer is saying that Jesus is greater than Moses. What are you going to do with this information? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, verse 7, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. 
While it said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Guess what? Take a look at verse 7 of chapter 3. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And one more time just for fun, verse 7 of chapter 4. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If God says something once, it's important. If he decides to repeat it, you better pay attention. If he's saying it three times in the span of two chapters, you better be stopping and saying, why is it in here? What he's saying is, today is the day to accept this. Today is the day to stop and understand this. What are you going to do with this information? So, you get it now, Jesus is greater than angels and Moses and Joshua. How is that going to affect how you live? If there's nothing greater than him, then why do we put any personal desires, wants, opinions ahead of the Lord? Because today is the day to hear, listen, and respond. And you're here tonight. You have heard. And what is your response to that? Is your response belief or unbelief? Look at verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Belief, an unbelief. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with it? The writer of Hebrews is saying, what are you going to do with this information? Verse 16, for who having heard, rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? He's setting up a point here. He says, listen, other people have heard the same teaching. They rebelled. Verse 17, now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Why? Unbelief. Verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Unbelief. Okay, we have to stop at this point. How's your faith? We're going to get to faith here in a little bit in Hebrews chapter 11, but there's a great passage. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible to please God without faith. So where is your faith? How is it right now? This is one of those questions you just kind of ask yourself. When the going gets tough, do you fall apart spiritually, emotionally? Do you start saying things like, oh, I can't handle this. These bad things always happen to me. Why does this always happen? Where's your faith? Or when the going gets tough and trials and tribulations come, do you buckle down in the Lord and say, he's my sure foundation. I'm going to get through this in Christ. See, how you respond in difficult times is the test that God allows to show you where your faith is. And what Moses happened to him was when they were going through the promise, excuse me, going to the promised land in verses 16 through 18, what happened? They failed. They rebelled. They complained. They gave up. They set up a gold calf to worship. It all sums it up how? Verse 19, they could not enter in because of unbelief. I tell you, we Christians, we sure talk a good talk. But when push comes to shove, is our foundation sure? And are we truly living it in all that we say and all that we do? So anybody got any quick questions, comments here? Brian. Yeah, you brought up some great stuff there. Um, they had some of the most 
evidence that anybody's ever seen. Like you said, this generation saw the plagues in Egypt. This generation saw the Red Sea be parted. This generation saw the manna. They saw the quail. They saw the, the law come down on the mountain and the thunders and the lightnings. And like you said, they saw the pillar. They saw the cloud. They saw all of this stuff. And they still walked in unbelief. And you stop and you say, how could that be? Okay, I think one of the saddest passages in the Bible, it happens in the book of Revelation, where Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years. Now just put that in perspective. Christ rules and reigns on this earth in physical bodily form for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, what happens? Everybody rebels. Can you imagine that? This is not just talking about Jesus. This is, hey, do you want to meet Jesus? I'll take you to Jerusalem. Because according to the book of Isaiah, he's going to be up on the Temple Mount teaching. Can you imagine that Bible study? He's going to be teaching. So you get to see Christ in the flesh, and then after a thousand years, reject. Think about Adam and Eve. They rejected. Why? Because some serpent said, eat the fruit. It is very, very sad. And on a much smaller scale, do we not do the same thing? Oh, Lord, I'm going, to go, I'm going to go deeper in you. I'm going to set my alarm tomorrow. I'm going to get up 15 minutes early. Lord, I'm not going to watch those programs anymore. I'm just not going to do it. Everywhere I go, I'm going to listen to worship music. And I'm going to run into people. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. So you go to bed that night. You wake up the next morning. Guess what? You got a headache. You don't feel good. Whatever. You hit snooze three times. So now you're running late to work. So now you're ticked off. So you snap at your wife because she already knows about Jesus. You don't have to tell her about him, right? And so then you go into work and all these people you're going to be a shining light for. Now they're bugging you and you're complaining about them. And now you're not even thinking about spiritual matters. And you start listening and watching things you shouldn't. And you get home, you're in a bad mood. You lay down at night and then what happens? Conviction. Oh, Lord, tomorrow I'm going to get up 15 minutes early. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to tell everybody. And we do this. We do this. And what happens is the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, just let me repeat this. Verse 7, today. Verse 15, today. Verse 7 of chapter 4, today. Today, start it now. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Hear it, do something about it, make the changes through the Holy Spirit, and say, I want things to be different. It's not talking it, it's doing it. And that's what we're running into problems with as a church here in America. We sure talk it. But we have to go out and do it, live it, and all we say and do. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Okay. So, greater than Moses. Because Moses served the house that Jesus built. So, therefore, since Christ designed the system Moses served in it, is not the creator more important than the creation? What's more important, the house or the brains that built the house? What's the brains that built the house? So now, listen to how logical this is. Okay, well, obviously Joshua's got to be pretty important. He led them into the promised land. Well, verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, there's our point again, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith to those who heard it. Did you not catch in verse 2? They heard the same stuff. Some responded, some didn't. I can't figure that out. I can't. I, I can teach a Wednesday night. I can teach a Sunday. I can teach a small group. I can give the exact same message. And I can have people walk out of this building saying, that's exactly what I needed to hear. The Holy Spirit spoke through that message. And amen, thank the Lord, I'm going to go home and I want to be on fire for Christ. 
And then the person sitting two rows over could say, oh my goodness, I could barely keep my eyes open. If that's the way it's going to be every Sunday, I need to find a different place to go to church. Now, which person's right? Well, the first one, of course, right? I tell you, the longer I do this, the more I realize the only thing we are capable of doing is presenting. We just present truth. And I I don't know what seeds are going to land on good ground. I don't know whose heart is open to it at that moment. And you just present. Because right now, what the writer of Hebrews is saying in verse 2, the same groups heard it. But what happened to the one group? It was not mixed with faith. It was not mixed with faith. I mean, haven't you ever done that? Of course, not us. I'm sure it's other people that do this. Where you're hearing a message, and you're thinking of someone... And they're hearing the same message, and oh, I'm so, I sure hope they're listening. And then you walk home, or you go home, and say, what'd you think of the message? No, yeah, it was okay. Why? I don't know. The heart wasn't ready to receive it. The heart wasn't open, etc. It just wasn't. I see it. I'm so used to this. I've been teaching for 20 years. Every Sunday, somebody falls asleep. Every Sunday. I see people staring right out the window. Some of them don't even try to hide it anymore. I get it. I see the people passing notes to each other. I get it. I see it. You know what? I just pray for them because obviously they're wrong. I just pray for them. I'm just kidding. I don't know. What makes them hear it? What makes them don't? Because what happens is you have to want it. Verse 3, for who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore in my wrath. They shall enter my rest. No, excuse me. They shall not enter my rest. He's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity. What are you going to do with it? Now, follow the logic here. Verse 3, what do they need to have? They need to have belief. Those who did not, those who have believed, do enter that rest. You have to have faith that Jesus is real. You have to have faith that He died on the cross for your sins. This is not a head knowledge. Please note the difference. So often people come up and say, I believe in God. Believing in God does not get you into heaven. As has been said many times before, Satan believes in God. Okay? So it's more than just believing that God exists. It's more than just believing that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. This is different. It's called having faith where you stop and you realize, I believe that this is so true. I now give my life up and over to him and say, I want to live for you. So do we have that belief? Verse 3. Because verse 4. For he has spoken, actually back up verse 3. For who would believe do enter that rest as he said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So from the foundation of the world, God already had a plan. Verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rests on the seventh day from all his works. Note the logic. Jesus is not trying to still figure out salvation for us. It's done. It's completed. Verse 4. He's rested. Verse 5, and again in this place they shall not enter my rest. Note the logic. He chooses who gets to come in. So verse 3, you have to have faith. Verse 4, he's done. He's prepared the place for us. Verse 5, he gets to choose who gets to go in. What makes the choice? Verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter. Why? Because of disobedience. They chose not to believe. They chose to rebel. They chose to complain. They wanted to go back and be slaves in Egypt. Now, we don't want to go back and be slaves in Egypt, but what do we want to do according to Romans 6? We want to go back and be slaves to sin. Think about that. God is trying to set us free from our Egypt, which is the world, and we keep wanting to go back into sin. So note the logic. You have to have faith. Jesus has said, I get you into the promised land. I get to choose who goes in. And what is the requirement? Verse 6, disobedience is going to keep you out. 
He's trying to make it so simple and straightforward. And now, verse 7, again he designates a certain day, saying, And David, today, after such a long time, as has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. If Joshua could have got you into heaven, the promised land, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. So Jesus is greater than Joshua. We can rest in Jesus. This idea of rest is going to be repeated three times here coming up. Why? Because Jesus is trying to tell you, I can give you rest. Now, before we get into what rest looks like, any quick questions, comments here about anything before we go on? Ryan. Right. But if you think Yeshua, yeah. Joshua, Jesus, it's all the same word. Yeah, the, the Greek Jesus is the same as the Hebrew Joshua. Yeah. yeah, that's what it's trying to say there. The Greek Jesus is the same as the Hebrew Joshua. It's kind of an interesting thing. It's Yeshua. Yeshua, yep. Saying. Yep. Anybody else got anything here before we move on? Okay. Let's talk about rest for a second. This rest that we're talking about is not a day off from work. This rest that we're talking about is not an evening with nothing going on. We're talking about an eternal, peaceful rest of where you have salvation and you know where you're going when you die. Think about the people you're talking to in the world. What are they looking for? They're looking for some type of peace. They're looking for some type of peace of mind. They're looking for some type of peace in this world. And there is no peace in this world. There is not. True rest comes through Christ through all of eternity. What do we need to do? We have to look past this towards something bigger and deeper. I feel so bad for people whose whole life revolves around work five days, look forward to two days off. Work five days, look forward to two days off. And you may not even have that schedule. You may be work three days, get one day off, work two days, get a day off. Some of you may be, I work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Can you imagine if your life was just revolving around dates on the calendar where it said off that's not rest because i don't know about you guys i try to take friday as a family day and you know what i do on my family day i do a whole lot of work because that's when i usually have time to mow the yard that's when i usually have time to go out and do something so even on my day of rest it's a day of work what jesus is trying to tell us here what the writer of hebrews is trying to get through to us look past now to eternity this is your season to work And I see so many believers trying to do everything they can to enjoy this world. And they look for happiness here when really what are we trying to do? It's not about here. It's not about now. It's about eternity. So, Lord, let me look forward to that rest. Because if you're looking to this world to give you peace of mind and rest, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be perpetually disappointed. You are. You're always going to be walking away unsatisfied. You'll be unsatisfied in your life. You'll be unsatisfied in your marriage. You'll be unsatisfied at work. There'll be nothing that will give you an eternal satisfaction. We've got to look past that. Because once again, go back to verse 8. If Joshua could have gave these guys rest, we wouldn't need Jesus to do what he did on the cross. So, what are we supposed to do now? Verse 11. Let us therefore, there's our word again, be diligent to enter that rest. That's what we want. Lest anyone fall short according to the same example of disobedience. Let's learn from them. Learn from what? They walked in complaining. They walked in bitterness. They walked in being unsatisfied. They walked in wanting to go back to false gods and back into the slavery of sin. Let's learn from their example. 
Remember when we went through the book of Chronicles? What did we say nearly every single message? The reason we're studying this is to learn what these guys did good and to learn what they did wrong. Let's learn from both of them. How do we learn from it? Verse 12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That verse is amazing. Let's just talk about it. The Word of God is living, first off. The Word of God is alive. This is not a dead book. The Word of God is still as important today. The Word of God is still as impactful today as it was 100 years ago or 2,000 years ago. Do not be afraid to quote the Word of God to people. It is living and it is what? Powerful. My words will fall flat. My words will be forgotten. That's why we... Go verse by verse because Scripture will never be forgotten. The Holy Spirit will use it. I've told you before, I have a whole list of verses I have. And if I'm texting somebody or emailing them, I will usually say, praying for you. I'll give them a word of encouragement. But what I try to do, I try to stick a Scripture in there. Because why? God's Word is living and powerful. Not my words. God's Word. Please remember that. Get into the Word personally. Get into the Word with your spouse. Get into the Word with your kids. Get into the Word. That's what's going to impact stuff. It's also what? Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It cuts. It cuts. Have you not ever read something in the Bible and as you're reading it, the Holy Spirit says that is for you and you can't even finish the verse, it seems like, because it just cuts right into you? Or when you're doing devotions, I know for me, whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm struggling with, I know as soon as I open my devotional for the morning, I already know it's going to be something that God is going to use. I know it. And if I don't get something out of it, quote unquote, guess what? I'll be repeating what I just read that day to someone else. I just read a devotional about a week ago. Personally, I didn't get a lot out of it, but what did I do? Made a copy of it and gave it to somebody else because I knew what they were going through. Because God's Word is alive, it's active, and it cuts. Now, who wants to be cut? No one. That's why we stay out of the Word. We make excuses. It's boring. I don't get anything out of it. I don't understand it. Fill in the blank. Because we don't want to be cut by it. That's why so often you see a lot of messages where it's what? Maybe a verse or two and just a lot of talking. God's Word cuts. It cuts. And what does it do? It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Oh, that's a hard one. You can fool yourself into thinking you're doing right. I catch myself doing that every now and then. I'll be like this. I know my heart. I really want what's best for you. And really I stop and I think, no, I know my heart. I really want what's best for me. And so by me proclaiming what's best for you is probably really just impacting me. Listen, there's times in counseling where I present God's perspective and I don't really like doing that. Because my personal opinion is, yeah, I don't really want to say that. But guess what? God's word discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. It cuts. And what does it do in verse 13? There's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him of whom we must give account. Read that one more time. And there's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we choose to look at. He knows what we choose to listen to. He knows the lies that we choose. We know how we try to present ourselves a certain way. God says, I'm not fooled by any of this. It reaches a point in your walk with the Lord where you just need to stop and say, Lord, I just got to be real because who am I trying to hide this from? And to be quite honest, as Christians, we really do so much time, energy, and effort to making ourselves look good. And why? Because it's a pride. It's a pride. 
there's a passage that's going to be coming up here a little bit about Moses. And Moses, for if you remember correctly, when he was up on the mountain, his face started shining when he got the law. Can you imagine that? His face was shining. The Bible kind of hints that his face was so bright and so shining that when he came down from the mountain, it started scaring people. So you know what Moses did? He wore a veil. wore a veil over his face. That way people wouldn't see. But you know what happened over time? The glory, the shining started to fade away. But you know what Moses kept doing? He kept wearing the veil. Now, why did he keep wearing the veil? The Bible seems to hint that Moses kind of kept wearing the veil because he didn't want people to know that the glory was starting to fade away. Do we not do that? I can't get into a real deep conversation with you spiritually because if I talk to you too much, you're going to find out I'm really not doing well and my marriage is held together by Band-Aids and my walk with the Lord is not a walk, it's a crawl at most. So just real quick, God bless you, love you, good to see you, hope to see you next Sunday and everything's doing great. No. Verse 13, no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. I just want to encourage you here tonight. Be open. Is your walk a walk? Are you, are you going deeper? Are you growing in him? Do you desire the things of him? Or let's just get back to the nuts and bolts of it. Are you saved? Because today is the day of salvation. We have to, verse 13, give an account to the Lord and how we lived our lives and what we did. So now take this to verses 14 through 16, which we already read. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. He's bringing it all together. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He is sovereign over everything. He is our high priest that gives us access to God, that can sympathize with us, and all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So now what are we supposed to do with this information? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Take it to him. Take it to him. Any final questions, comments about anything here before we close up? All right, let's do this. Let's just take a moment here and let's pray for a little bit. Lord, as we come to you now, I just look at that verse. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, we come without fear in your presence because we know that you are a merciful and faithful high priest who loves us. First off, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for letting us come to you. Lord, now I want to pray for anybody out here that needs mercy and grace in time of need. If there's someone here tonight who's just really struggling, if they're struggling physically, in the name of Jesus, help them. We pray for your hand of health to be upon them. We pray that they could glory in tribulation. We pray, Lord, that you would be there in their time of need. We pray for someone who's struggling emotionally. Lord, show them that you will never leave them nor forsake them that you are there for them. Lord, for those that are struggling spiritually, their walk is a crawl. They're not refreshing. They're just dry. Lord, show them the waters of life. Show them the joy of an on-fire relationship with you. I pray for those marriages that are hurting, that the men would love their wives as Christ loved the church, that the wives would love, respect, and honor, and submit unto their husbands. Lord, we give you everything And we know that we will give an account to you, but for right here, right now, that people may find grace to help in time of need. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Before I let you guys go, don't forget, praise night, Thanksgiving potluck.
small groups all back there. Operation Christmas Child in the back. Hey, we do this every Wednesday. If you've got something you want to pray about, come on up. Come boldly to the throne of grace here. Let's take it to him. I'll be up here for a few minutes. You guys have a blessed week. Have a good week. And don't forget, next Wednesday is a fellowship meal. Next Wednesday, fellowship meal. Tomorrow's Halloween alternative. You guys have a good blessed week.